All right, well, good morning and welcome. Good to see everybody here today. Um, I'm going to continue my series on the life and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through the Gospels, we're going to see um, who he is and how he lived. And we're going to learn some great lessons um, from the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and from his teaching and lessons that we can see that we can practically apply to our own lives. Uh, just before we open the Word of God, I'd like to just bow our hearts and pray. Our Father, we thank you again for this time that we have together to open the Scriptures. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus. He is our great High Priest. He is the eternal Son of God. And He came from heaven to die upon the cross so that we could have life and that we can have eternal blessings with God in heaven forever. We just pray that you would teach us from your word, open our hearts to hear your voice, and meet our needs. We think of this audience, and there's a likely a vast variety of challenges and concerns, and we just pray that you would open our hearts together today, and as we read the scriptures, minister to us, and meet us where we are, and feed our hearts today, we pray. As we ask your blessing, as we open the scriptures, in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. I'm going to be reading today from the book of Luke, and I'm going to read in chapter 4. But um, as I continue my series about the Lord Jesus Christ, we've spoken about his birth, his incarnation, that God himself came into the world. We've spoken about... Um, his visit to the temple, we've spoken about his baptism, and we've spoken about the fact that he is the Lamb of God's providing. Well, as we move through the journey of the Gospels, I want to speak to you today about temptation. Temptation in the wilderness, and the testing that the Lord Jesus Christ endured in that wilderness, and really lessons that we can learn in our own lives as we face temptation in this wilderness. Uh, this is a picture of the Judean wilderness. And I'm not sure if any, anybody here has ever been there, but it is an absolutely amazing place. I would say that the wilderness is lonely. The wilderness is inhospitable. It is barren. Almost no vegetation, and one is made to feel their utter dependence on water and bread. What a metaphor of this world that we live in today. Spiritually, it's a wilderness. It is a metaphor, and we're going to look at lessons in the wilderness and particularly about temptation um, as we look at this passage. Here's another picture. Uh, if you look out across this vast wilderness, you could look for what seems like miles and lose your sense of direction. When you actually go out there, you can travel. When you go to Israel today, you can get on a camel and you can go like a day's journey out into the wilderness. When you get out there, everything looks the same. 
Where's north? Where's south? Where's east? Where's west? You can lose your sense of direction. You can feel this strange solitude, this, this dearth. And I can just only imagine what it must have been like for the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory, to come down from heaven and spend 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Let's read about his experience in Luke chapter 4. Now, if you don't have it in front of you, I put the words up on the screen so you can follow along. I'm reading from the King James. What's on the screen is the NIV. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being 40 days tested by the devil. And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward was hungry. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All of this authority will I give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and whomsoever I will to give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from here, for it is written. Now the devil is quoting scripture. For it is written, he shall give thee his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. And when the devil had ended all the testing, he departed from him for a season. Now I want to read one other verse that I think is pertinent to our, uh, our discussion today. And it's in Hebrews chapter 4. I love this verse. This verse gives us a special insight and hope and connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in, the, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have a great high priest who, 
who was tempted in everything that we have been tempted with, yet he did not sin. And we have a connection with him. He is able to sympathize with us because he was here. He experienced everything that we experience, yet he did not sin. Temptation in the wilderness. So how does this relate to us? I would say that this world is a wilderness. The journey of life. Is it not true that it is a test of our very hearts? You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find life to be a grind. There are challenges every single day. There are pressures. There are responsibilities. There are failings in my life. We stumble. We are challenged. And this, this picture of the wilderness, this metaphor, is just like the world that we pass through every day. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy your soul. It's a place of famine. It's a place of emptiness. And it is a place of temptations. And I love what the Lord Jesus quoted from three times, the book of Deuteronomy. And I was so intrigued by it, I actually went back and started to read the first number of chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is so interesting because it is Moses' last words to the children of Israel before they set out on their journey through the wilderness. And Moses said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 to 3, he says, The Lord God will lead you 40 years into the wilderness. Why? He will test you to know what is in your heart. The Lord Jehovah carried you. He says, I fed you. Your clothes didn't grow old. And your feet didn't swell. You ladies, can you imagine wearing the same clothes and the same shoes for 40 years? 40 years. They walked through the desert, this, this wilderness. And they wore the same clothes. And their, their shoes didn't wear out. And God fed them. Now, just go back and look at this picture for a second. Imagine waking up every morning and seeing this. You get out of your tent, and this is what you see. Wow. You got to journey through this for 40 years, and there's no food, and there's no water, and there's no entertainment, and there's no internet, and there's no iPhone. There is nothing. This is a vast, barren wilderness, empty. Now get the picture of this for a second. Spiritually speaking, this is our life as Christians. We are walking through a wilderness. It's barren. It's empty. There is no satisfaction in this world for the soul of the believer. But you know what there is? There's a lot of temptations. A lot of temptations. And we have a wicked, sinful heart that gravitates towards temptations. And it's so easy for us to stumble 
to fail, to sin. And we need direction from God. We need to be led. We need to be kept. We need to be sustained. Imagine these people. I mean, you can read the whole history, and it it really is amazing. I think if I was there, I'd be one of the complainers. I think I'd wake up and say, man, you know what? I, 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 got, I haven't had water for the last couple of days. And I, I'm sick and tired of this manna. Like, is this all there is? And, and God leads these people to a rock. And, and Moses speaks to the rock, and, and he smites the rock, and water comes out, gushing. And these people are just like, oh, water. They're so thirsty. They're just down there just lapping it up. You know, the Bible says that that rock is Christ. He is the satisfaction to our soul in the desert, in the wilderness. That rock is Christ. What a lesson. Could I say this as believers, Christians? There's not a day that goes by that we need the grace of God. There is not a day that goes by that we need to be in His Word. And we need to be fed from His Spirit. Because if not, we will wander, we will sin, we will stumble, and our souls will be empty. Because this world is a wilderness. I have selected a number of lessons that I'd like to share with you today from the testing of the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. And the first lesson is sympathy from God. Folks, we have a God who meets us where we are. He has sympathy for us because he was here. He felt what we feel. He was challenged by what we are challenged with. And we have a God who is able to sympathize, to empathize with his people. Second lesson is this. When we look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was absolute sinless perfection. He was tested, yet he did no sin. The word of God says that there is or there was no sin in him. Sinless perfection. But it doesn't take very far for us to go along in this life until we discover in ourselves the sinfulness of our own flesh. Temptation is sure to come in every person's life. Then there is satanic enticement. And we are susceptible to that. Satan goes about as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour, and he entices us to sin. We're going to look at that. But here's the good news. We have spiritual resources to combat temptation. We have spiritual resources to help us overcome and to to give us that, that source that we need as we journey through this wilderness. And I'd like to look at three of them. The Spirit of God the Word of God, and our great high priest who is in heaven praying for us. 
We're exhorted as we read Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to stand strong. When our adversaries assault us, the roaring lion, the wiles of the devil, we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We have resources. And God has given us armor, spiritual armor, and he has exhorted us to put it on and to stand. And so as we look at the testings of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, and we relate them to our, our own life in this wilderness, we've got some teaching and some encouragement for us as we journey through this wilderness. Sympathy from God. God meets us where we are at. You know, we often hear Unimade pray that. He says that when he prays that, well, God will meet us where we are at. God will meet each one of our individual needs. You see, your needs and my needs are different. We, we live a different life. We have different challenges. Maybe I'm challenged by some things that you're not. And maybe you're challenged by some things that I'm not. Some people have health challenges. Some people have financial challenges. Some people deal with loneliness. Some people are, are struggling with the lust of the flesh. Some people are, are struggling with a world that is a tremendous adversary against the Christian. We all struggle with different things. There are temptations that we all struggle with. But here's the teaching from the Word of God. We have a God who visited this planet. He knows all about the challenges that we have. He came here. He looked upon us. He saw our desperate need. He feels what we feel. He was tested in every single point as we are tested in. He knows, and he's able to sympathize with us. I don't think I will ever get over the miracle, the profound miracle of the incarnation that God himself became a man and dwelt among us, actually made this world, this wilderness, his home. He was here. He felt it. God who created this world, this planet, this universe and everything in it actually became a man and stepped into human flesh, and he experienced what we experience, yet he did not sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, there's a remarkable verse, and it says this, that Jesus didn't take on angelic beings, he passed angels by, and he came down, and he became flesh and blood. He partook of the seed of Abraham, and he was made like unto his brethren. That, that, that is a profound statement. You know what's amazing about that? When angels sinned against God and were cast out of heaven, there was no redemption for angels. Angels didn't have a second chance. Angels never had an opportunity to have their sin forgiven and be redeemed. But mankind, 
lower than angels? We sinned against God. And God himself sympathized enough with us to actually condescend in grace and become a man. He took not on him the nature of angels. He took on him the seed of Abraham. And he partook of flesh and blood. He was made like unto his brethren. Could I tell you how that encourages me? When I struggle in my life, and I'm able to just simply lift my eyes and my heart to God, and I can say, God, you know what this life is like. You, fe you felt what I feel in the weakness of the flesh. He is able to sympathize. He is able to empathize because God himself was a man. 1 John 1 and 1 is an amazing statement that John said. The life that is eternal, the one who had no beginning, was revealed to us. It was manifested. And he became flesh. John says, we touched him. We seen him with our eyes. Our hands handled him. The very word of life. In John chapter 4, we get a picture of his humanity. When Jesus felt weary from his journey, he sat by the well. He was hungry. He was tired. When he looked upon what sin had done to this world, he mourned. He was devastated by what sin had wrought in humanity. And we see him at the grave of Lazarus when when Lazarus is dead and buried and in the grave, Jesus wept. You know what that's a picture of? His sympathy, his empathy. He knows what you're dealing with. He feels what, what sin has wrought in this world and how it has hurt you and how it has devastated this, this whole creation. Jesus felt, he wept, he mourned. He has sympathy for us. But here's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 4 that we read. Since then we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Okay, Jesus Christ took glorified humanity into heaven. Something he never had before. He was spirit eternally. He became a man. He rose from the dead, and in glorified flesh, he literally ascended up into heaven, and today, he bears the marks of Calvary, and he stands in heaven, glorified humanity, as the one who knows your cares, who feels your burdens, and is praying for you. That is profound. We have a great high priest who represents us, who intercedes for us, who felt our burdens, our cares, who was tested in all the points like we are. Yet him, without sin, he is able. He is able, ready, and willing to help us. We have one who was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Look at Hebrews 2 and 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, 
He is able to help those who are tempted. In this life, you're going to have temptation. But we have one who sympathizes with us. Let me just show you what happened in the wilderness that was so profound for the Lord Jesus. He is sinless perfection. In the wilderness, it was a test. It says that he was led by the Spirit. And if you read Mark's gospel, he was driven by the Spirit. Why, why is that? Like, it, you know, it just seems like right after he's baptized, before he starts his public ministry, there's this major test. He is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. You know why that is? Is to show the sinless perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is absolutely perfect. Under the worst conditions, he did not fail. He would not fail. He could not fail. Bible says three places. Peter says he did no sin. This is an external view of the Lord Jesus. He did no sin. Peter was an eyewitness. He did no sin. Paul Paul says he, he didn't even know sin. And John, John says, in him there is no sin. You know that there was many eyewitnesses that would concur that Jesus Christ never sinned. Even his enemies who tried to trap him in sin. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus could look at those who wanted to kill him. And he said to them, which of you convinces me of sin? There is not another person that has ever lived that could say that, apart from Jesus Christ. How about Judas? I've sinned. I, I've betrayed the innocent blood. How about Pilate's wife? Have thou nothing to do with this just man? The testimony of everyone who experienced the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, all external testimonies, was there was no sin to be found in him. He was absolutely pure. He was innocent. External blamelessness was not enough. How about the virgin birth? The virgin birth is essential to the impeccability of Christ because there was no generational contamination from Adam. There was nothing that was passed on to the Lord Jesus because he was not born of the seed of the man. He was born of the seed of the woman. And he was pure. And that virgin conception was an absolute miracle of God. So that he was not tainted by sin. And then he's led out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested by the devil. So... This is the internal testing. This is to prove the impeccability of Christ, not only that he didn't sin, but to prove that he couldn't sin. You know, the Lord Jesus said um, in John chapter 14 that the prince of this world comes but finds nothing in me. The ruler of this world, Satan himself, there was no foothold in him that could respond to sin. Any other person that ever lived would have sinned in the wilderness when they were tested like this. 
Jesus was there in the worst conditions, the most strenuous, the most severe, exposed to the very power of spiritual darkness, not just demons, the devil himself. The very devil tested and tempted Christ for 40 days. It wasn't just one occurrence. Most of it we don't even know about. But by divine inspiration, we are given this insight into these three occurrences where the Son of God was tested by the devil. Not only did he not sin, he was tested to prove that he could not sin. Do you know why this is so important? This gives me eternal security. Because if Jesus Christ could have sinned, and if there's a possibility that there was some sin in him or on him, he couldn't be qualified to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. You know, there's a hymn that sometimes we sing. I, I don't know if you guys ever sing it, but it's a beautiful hymn. And it, it, it speaks about the impeccability of Christ, where he is right now, risen and ascended on high. And it goes like this. Reach my blessed Savior's side. Take him from God's esteem. Prove Jesus bears one spot of sin, then tell me that I'm unclean. Because Jesus Christ, as the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, separate from sinners, bore my sin on the cross and was able to take it away because he had no sin in himself. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, Him who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The sinless perfection of Jesus Christ, it is essential to our eternal security. Now, by major contrast, let's talk about us. The sinfulness of our own flesh. Could I tell you this? It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't matter if you've been born again for 20, 30 years, even if you're 90 years old. The temptation of sin is a lifelong struggle. We will all struggle with the temptation of sin. James chapter 1 says this fundamental truth. It says every person is tempted when they are led away of their own lust, when they are enticed by their own evil desire. Everyone. There's not a person upon the earth that has ever lived, partaken of humanity, that doesn't deal with the temptation of the sinfulness of the flesh. It's because of what we are. And this wilderness experience is a, is a cycle. It's a cycle of temptations and struggles with sin and repentance and victory and faith in Jesus Christ. You know, just think about the children of Israel. If you want to hear, if you want to read a cycle, read Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a, a whole history, a catalog of the children of Israel following God, believing God, sinning against God, experiencing the consequences of their sin, confessing their sin, getting back to God, falling into sin again, confessing their sin, getting back to God, and on and on and on it goes. And if you want to see something even worse, 
read the kings in the Old Testament. First and second kings, you're going to get a whole catalog of generation after generation. And you know what they did? They put out all these idols. And then the next guy tore them all down. And the next guy rebuilt them. And the next guy tore them all down again. And then the next guy got back to God. That's an endless cycle of the struggle that humanity has with sin. Romans chapter 7, Paul illustrated this, and he mentioned this so clearly. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Romans 7 and 18, In me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. There is this struggle with sin. Paul said, when I would do good, I see evil is present with me. He said, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? I thank God that Jesus Christ delivers me. And that is the power. We wrestle against the flesh, the sin principle within, and we need to be aware of our own weakness and our own vulnerability. Satanic enticement. When the Lord Jesus was led away into the wilderness to be tested of the devil, Satan tempted Jesus in the same way that he tempts us. First of all, he questions God's word. Does that sound familiar? He did that back in, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Has God said, really? And then he takes the word of God and he creates this doubt. He says, if. And then you know what he does? He puts a spin on truth. He's got a little bit of truth, but he puts a spin on it. And it creates this, this psyche in the human mind that says, okay, now all of a sudden we're unsure. That's what Satan does. Beware of Satan's enticement. He tempts us with the lust of the flesh. This is the, the physical desire of our humanity. And he did this with the Lord Jesus. He says to Jesus, after he hadn't eaten anything for 40 days, he's 100% human. Now you imagine what it would, like, would it be like to go for four days with no food. Just four days. Jesus ate nothing for 40 days. And Satan comes along and says, if you are the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, immediately, our humanity is looking at that and saying, wow, yeah, that's tempting. I'm really hungry. What does Jesus say? He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He uses the word of God to counteract Satan's enticement. Then he tempts the Lord Jesus with the lust of the eyes. Here's the emotional desire. And every one of us have this. I don't know how this could have happened, but the Bible says it happened, so I believe it. Satan brings Jesus up into an exceeding high mountain and in a moment of time shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor of these kingdoms. Wow. Do you know what Satan was really saying? He's really saying, you want earth and humanity? They're mine. But I tell you what, I'll give you all these kingdoms and all the splendor, and you won't have to go to the cross. Just bow down to me, and I'll give them to you. 
You know that Satan is the God of this, this age. Do you know that when Adam sinned against God in the garden, he forfeited that dominion and he lost it and it went to Satan. And now Satan is the God of the age, the ruler of this world. And he says to the Lord, just bow down to me, I'll give you all this. There's a great lesson there. Because Satan entices us the very same way. You know what he says? He says, I'll make you rich. You know what he says? He says, I'll give you pleasure. I'll give you popularity. I'll give you fame. I'll give you fortune. Just follow me. Beware. Beware of Satan's enticement. The Lord Jesus says, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then there's the third temptation. He tempts him with the pride of life. You know, these three things are characterized in 1 John chapter 2. Everything that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And God says it's all passing. It, it's temporary. It'll pass away. Don't get caught up in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life because it will distract you and take you away from God. And so he says to the Lord Jesus, if you're the son of God, now he starts quoting scripture. Doesn't God say in Psalm 91 that he's going to give his angels charge over you? Brings him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and I understand that's about 450 feet of a drop from the very pinnacle of the temple to the, to the ground. And he says to him, cast yourselves down. Cast yourself down. The angels of God are going to protect you. Here, here's this, you know, this pride, this spiritual desire. Throw yourself down. And the Lord Jesus, again, the third time, uses the word of God to counteract Satan. And he says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Spiritual resources. Okay, so we are all tempted with the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. We are all tempted with it. Let me get real practical. Every time you turn on your iPhone, you are tempted with these three things. Every time you go on the internet, you watch TV, you get wrapped up in the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And you know what? That is not of the Father. That is of the world. That will take you far out into this wilderness, and it will put a dearth in your soul. It will lead you away from God. And we all battle this. I mean, you can't be in this world without being tempted every single day, bombarded every day. And it appeals to our flesh. And we're all the same. And if you feed that, it will bring your soul down. So how do you overcome? Well, we got three major resources. This is the takeaway. Three major resources for the Christian in a world of temptation. Number one, you have the Spirit of God. Praise God. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless. Jesus said, I will not leave you an orphan. Jesus said, I will give you another comforter. The Holy Spirit of God, which shall be in you, 
which shall be with you, and he will take the things of God, and he will reveal them unto you. He's that one who draws alongside. I think the word is the paraclete, the one who, who goes along life's journey with you. As a believer, you have the Spirit of God within you. Praise God. He's the comforter. You have the Word of God, the Scriptures. You know, this past week, I did something that I haven't done in a long time. I spent about 12 hours reading the Scriptures and preparing for this message, my message that I spoke yesterday, and I, I, I tried shutting off my phone. I tried getting out of circulation. I just tried to just meditate on the Word of God. And you know what? It was rich. It fed my soul. Could I confess to you something? That's not what I normally do. I roll through this life, and I've got a busy life with appointments and commitments and travel and everything else, and I, I try to gather a little bit at a time through the Scriptures. We need the Word of God because it strengthens us. It gives us hope. It, it, it renews our mind like Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need the word of God. What did Jesus say? He said, man shall not live by earthly bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. What did Jesus say in John chapter 6? I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me will never hunger. He that comes to me will never thirst. Are you feeding on the scriptures? Are you reading the word of God as a believer, walking through this world of temptation? You need that. I need it. I just want to encourage us all. It's a major resource for us. Read the scriptures. It feeds your soul. How about prayer? I got to tell you that my prayer life is terrible. My prayer life is not what it should be. We have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our weakness. As you struggle through this life, and I don't know what your struggles are, but I know you have struggles. As you struggle through this life, we have a great high priest. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is praying for you. He's praying for you. He's there. He is the greatest resource that we can go to. And he knows our challenges. He feels our cares. He was tested in every point like us we are. He understands. And he's available to us. He ever liveth to make intercession for everyone. And he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. Three major resources. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, and our great high priest. We're exhorted in Ephesians chapter 6 to take action, okay? Th this life of uh, Christianity is not passive. we got to take action. We have to take action. There's a responsibility on every one of us to stand strong. Having done all, stand. Ephesians chapter 6. We have six pieces of spiritual armor that we can put on that can combat our spiritual adversaries. Number one, we have the belt of truth. That holds it all together. Jesus said, I am the truth. He's given us the truth. 
And it, it's something that we need to put on. Take that truth and put it on. The breastplate of righteousness. I am so thankful this is not my righteousness because I don't have any righteousness. This is the righteousness of Christ, and he has given it to us by faith. Just like he gave it to Abraham when he believed God. He, he gave him righteousness. Every single person here that is trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior has the righteousness of God upon him. And Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, can never penetrate the breastplate of righteousness. Do you have the breastplate of righteousness on? You need to take it by faith and put it on. It is God's righteousness imputed to you by faith in Jesus Christ. How about the shield of faith? You know, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. That's what John says in 1 John 5. Do you take that shield of faith? There are arrows that are hurled at you every day from Satan. The wiles of the devil. Take that shield of faith and protect yourself from the wiles of the devil. The helmet of salvation. This is clear thinking in our mind. We are saved by the grace of God. We have a new standing in Christ, and we are secure. And he has given that to us, the helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit. Um, when you're involved in spiritual warfare, you need to memorize the Scriptures. And you need to use them as the sword of the Spirit because the spoken Word of God is powerful. And when Satan is attacking you, you can actually quote the Scripture to him just like Jesus did. It is written. This is the sword of the Spirit. And lastly, feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel. Do you know why this is a protection? Because it's hard to preach the gospel if you're not walking with God. It's hard. And you know what? I've done it. And you get out there in your own strength and you stumble and you fumble and you, and you try to... If you are not empowered with the Spirit of God, you can't do spiritual work. You can't witness if you're not walking with God. If you're not in fellowship with Him, you've lost the joy of your salvation. You need to get that renewed and put on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace and go out and tell people the gospel. But you have to do it after you've been in, in fellowship with God, feeding on the Word of God, and filled with the Spirit. And then you're able to go out and spread the gospel. All right, so let me wrap this up. Every single one of us this week are going to face temptation. Young people, let me talk to the teenagers here. You young people are facing more temptation than probably any of us are going to face this week. You got major spiritual warfare battles that you're fighting. Could I encourage you? Read the scriptures. Pray to the God that you have believed in. Visualize Jesus Christ as your great high priest who is there for you. He knows how you feel. He struggles. He has struggled with the infirmity of humanity, yet without sin. He has been here. He has felt it. He knows the struggles, and he's available, and we can all call upon him. Go to the Lord Jesus Christ, read the scriptures, and walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this time together that we can consider the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the tremendous resources that you have given us in the scriptures, in the Holy Spirit, and through our great high priest, whoever lives for us to make intercession. We thank you, Lord, for the example that we have of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we walk through this world, there is going to be struggles. There are going to be challenges, but we thank you that the Lord Jesus could say in John chapter 15, in this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so, Lord, until that day when we are safely home in heaven, we just pray that you would give us each strength and the ability, Lord, to walk with you and to overcome the, the temptations of the flesh. And so we ask you to bless us this, this week and, and bless this assembly as we part. We just commit us to you and we thank you for the Lord Jesus in his own worthy and precious name. Amen.